Well, thank you, Anthony and the band. Thank you, Christine, for all you've shared. Welcome on this Fourth of July weekend. From his seat, he knew he needed to make a call. And he reached out in front of him and he grabbed the phone. He tried his wife at first, but she didn't answer. So he called 911 instead. Though he was calling from a plane and it felt somewhat odd to be calling 911, Lisa Jefferson, the operator on the other side, didn't object. She knew the kind of day this was. She knew what was going on. And together as they talked, as he told about how much he loved his family, as he told about what he was observing and seeing on the plane, they had connection. There was a bit of quiet. Clearly there were some people talking on the other end. And then Lisa heard her new friend Todd say to those other people, okay, it's time, let's roll. And at that moment, Todd and his new band of brothers, these people who heretofore were strangers, but at this moment were aligned as a band of brothers with a mission, stormed the cockpit, and they overtook the terrorist pilot. They didn't know what to do next, but they knew the plane that was flying towards Washington, D.C. had to go down, and in their wrestling match, they brought the plane down in western Pennsylvania. And there, United Flight 93 rested in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, where today there's still a memorial commemorating in part the courage, bravery, and responsiveness of Todd Beamer and his band of brothers. Todd Beamer wasn't the most spectacular, courageous hero, and yet he and this band became the first to fight back against the Taliban, something that started on the streets of Manhattan and proceeded to the caves of Afghanistan. He had the courage to respond. I knew his story best because I was at the time a teacher at Wheaton Academy the day that the two planes flew into the towers I was a teacher at the very school where Todd Beamer had been a student years before. So we talked quite a bit about Todd Beamer. We talked quite a bit about his character and his faith and the way that he would always do what needed to get done. He would always obey with courage and bravery. He used that call, let's roll, when he's getting the kids ready to get to school or wherever. But he used it that day to say, I want to follow wherever I need to go. And it prompted me to ask a question, how well do I follow when there's risk involved? How well am I brave when I need to be brave or courageous? It's really quite a simple question, not always in response to the, the pilots that have taken over your plane, but in life with Jesus. How well do we listen and obey Christ's call and instruction on our life? How well do we listen and obey Christ's call and instruction on our life? Today we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 8, verses 16 through 21. I encourage you to go there. We'll be there all morning. 
I'll reference some other passages, but if you open there, uh, you're pretty good to go for the next hour and a half or whatever we have here together. <laughs> Let me read it to you. Luke 8, verses 16 to 21. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, he puts it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed, and nothing concealed that will not be made known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, will be taken from him. Now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside waiting to see you. And he replied, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Those who hear God's word and put it into practice. When we approach any words of Scripture, it's best to be reminded of the context. Sometimes the Scripture reading is an entirely new scene, but sometimes it's following on from what took place immediately before it, and that's the case here. So you might remember two weeks ago, Wyeth Duncan spoke on the parable of the soils or of the seeds. You remember the seeds were the Word of God, and the soils are the way that our heart might respond to the Word of God. And in this parable, there were four ways that a heart might respond. On the one hand, there is the trampled soil. The trampled soil doesn't let the seed in, and the birds would come and pluck it away before it ever grew. Then there's the rocky soil. And the rocky soil was soil in which the seed began to grow, but it was so shallow that there were no roots, and therefore the bloom or the blossom would wither away. Then there was the weedy soil. Again, it was able to grow, but there's so much clutter, so much going on around the root that it would choke it out and die. And finally, there's the good soil. And the good soil, in a sense, is the one who is able to hear the Word of God. And it's on that message that Jesus wants to build. So in our context, Remember, it's not two weeks ago when Wyeth spoke. This is immediately after Jesus just talked about what kind of soil are you? And then he goes on to clarify with these next passages. He clarifies by talking about what does it mean not just to hear but to listen well and to respond. So it's in that context that we come today, even looking at the parable before. Listen to how many times here is brought up. These are seven of the verses from Luke 8, 8 to 15. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Though seeing, they may not see. Though hearing, they may not understand. Those along the path are the ones who hear. Those on the rocks are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear. But the good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a good crop. We come to today's passage with that echoing of seven times the word hear or hearing being used. 
We come to today's passage knowing that Jesus is enlightening us as to what it really means to hear. I want to pause for a moment and pick out two key verses that are in the passage that I think can help. Those two key verses are verse 18, if you want to look there. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. So one of the key elements of today is that we should consider carefully how we listen. And then finally in verse 21, my, bro- my mother and brothers are those who hear God's Word and put it into practice. Say this with me, because these are the two ideas from verse 18 and verse 21. We are to listen and obey. We are to... Very good. Listen and obey. How do we do with that? Francis Chan has an interesting way he puts it. It's a combination of talking about a children's game and his own daughter. I'll play it back uh, for you this way. Have you ever played the game Simon Says? Simon Says is really a pretty simple game, right? Simon Says, touch your nose. You touch your nose. Simon Says, jump up and down. And you jump up and down. But the interesting point is, though we know how to do Simon Says, sometimes we're hesitant to play Jesus Says. Jesus says things to us, but we don't necessarily just touch our nose and jump up and down. Sometimes we think about it and we discuss it and we talk about it, but we don't actually do it. Imagine, if you will, that my teenage daughter had a messy room. This is, of course, hypothetical. My teenage daughter is perfect, as are all teenage daughters, and she wouldn't have a messy room. But imagine, far-fetched as it is, a messy room. Now imagine I said to her, Anne-Marie... Please go clean your room. An hour and a half goes by, and what if she came back and she said, Dad, I thought about what you said, and it it was really good. In fact, I want you to know that in the time that I was upstairs, I memorized what you said to me. You said, Anne-Marie, please go and clean your room. Pretty good, huh? How would I feel as a dad? Or what if she said, Dad, you know what? What you said was so wise and noble that I'm actually gathering my friends later today. They're going to come over, and we're going to talk about clean rooms. And we're going to talk about what would a clean room really look like. And then we're going to talk about some strategies for how you might have a clean room. Oh, Dad, it's going to be good. I know you'll be proud. And Dad, at the end, we're going to pray that someday all of us might have a clean room. (laughs) This is a far-fetched illustration, of course, but how does it feel to Jesus if he asks us to do something and we come back having memorized it, having talked about it, having prayed about it, but not actually having done it? So I ask you, how do you do what Jesus says? I'm going to read you 10 verses. These are in no particular order. As I was writing this, I was just thinking of some of the things that Jesus has as standing orders in our lives. These aren't specific, which socks to wear, whether to take the job or not, whether to ask her out. These are just standing orders from Jesus to us. How do you do at Jesus says? Go and make disciples of all nations. 
Rejoice always and pray without ceasing. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your Lord. Approach the throne of grace with confidence. Be still and know that I am God. Honor the Sabbath. Confess and find that God is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Obey my commands and remain in my love just as I have obeyed my Father's commands. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Ten standing commands from Jesus or the Word of God. How do you do it, Jesus says? I want to dive deeper. There are three verses I want to look at from our passage today. I'm going to look at verse 16, verse 17, and then again at verse 21. Starting with verse 16, this helps us understand what it is to listen carefully. Remember, Jesus said, be careful how you listen then. So this will help us know what that means. Jesus said, no one lights a lamp and hides it in a jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, he puts it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. In one sense, Jesus is making this remark because he talked in uh, the parable of the soils about he teaches in parables and sometimes people don't get it or understand. It remains a secret. What Jesus wants to make clear is, look, I'm not teaching to keep things a secret. I'm trying to light a light here. I'm making it show. I'm not hiding it or putting it under a bed. I'm putting it on a stand. So don't get me wrong. When I teach in parables, it's not to keep secrets. It's simply that when I teach in parables, some people look deeper and get it, and others just say, I don't get it, and move on. And Jesus is saying, I want you to understand the secrets of the kingdom of God. He's saying, I light this lamp. But there's another part of this, right? When we hear this, Though it's not necessarily Jesus' intention, we come at this 2,000 years later with the fullness of God's Word in front of us and Paul's writing. We know that in Matthew 5, we are to be lights. We are to be salt and light in the world. We know from Philippians 12, <coughs> excuse me, from Philippians 2, I uh, hope you know there's no Philippians 12, but we know from Philippians 2. We are to shine as stars in this world. We are to have an impact. We are to make a difference. We are to stand out. We are to be the aroma of Christ. We are to shine in this world. Well, we can't shine if we look just like the world. In fact, in Romans 12, he says, Do not be conformed to the ways of this world. Do not look just like it. Do not fit right in. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Jesus wants us to live in light. He wants us to be light. He wants us to help expose the secrets of the kingdom of God to those around us. 1 John 1.7 writes this, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son purifies us from all sin. If we walk in the light as He is in the light. Jesus wants to make it known. We should want to make it known by walking in the light. Moving on to verse 17. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. The point here is that we should live in truth. 
At some point, Jesus will make everything known. At some point, there will be no secrets. There will be no mysteries. The fullness and greatness and sovereignty of God will be made known and perfect in this world. Now, it may not always feel like we're on a winning team if we're supporting the things of God. It may feel sometimes that we're in a battle or we're running against the grain, that we're somehow different or unique. And that's okay, but I encourage you always align with the truth. Because at some point when the truth is known, you'll want to be on that side. You'll want to have walked with Jesus through thick and thin, even if it's against the grain, because at some point the truth will be made known. At some point all will become clear. Nothing will be concealed. Everything will be brought out into the open. And not only should we align uh, with the truth rather than popular culture and popular belief, But we need our own heart to align with the truth about us. We can't come and say with one side of our mouth that we fully believe in the sovereignty and the beauty and the lordship of God and then at the same time not listen to what he says or not do what he says. We can't at the one hand say, I'm all about being a part of this church, but I'm not about doing, because that's not truth. To live in the truth means there's integrity between who you say you are and how you live and act. Jesus is encouraging us. It's all going to be brought out into the open, so get on board. 1 John 1.6 says, If we claim to have fellowship with Him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. So we're talking about what does it mean to listen carefully. On the one hand, it means that we are to live in the light. On the other hand, it means that we are to live in the truth. Finally, I want to share that it means we are to live in obedience. To listen carefully is to live in obedience. Reading verse 21, My mother and brothers are those who hear God's Word and put it into practice. This requires faith and trust, doesn't it? If you're going to do what God says, somewhere in the core of your being, you have to understand that whatever God asks of you is in your best interest. For me, I often find that I try to pursue my own best interest. I try to grab what I can, get what I can, do what I can to further my self-interest. But God is saying the heart of faith is to trust Him, and wherever He guides us, wherever He leads us, wherever He calls us, when we go there, we can be assured it is the best possible thing for our future. It's not actually a sacrifice to follow God. It's actually in our self-interest to follow God. And part of what helps me through this is when I remember that every time I face what feels like a restrictive command from God, it's actually got a grand positive behind it. Every restriction of God is actually pointing us to a better way to live. So if God says to us, don't worship other gods or idols, what He's really saying is, When you pursue anything else, it will never satisfy or fulfill the way pursuing me will satisfy or fulfill. I am the only one worthy of pursuit for your delight in life. He's saying, pursue me. That's the positive to find fulfillment. When he says, don't lie, it sounds restrictive. Sometimes I like to lie. But what he's telling us is if you pursue truth, life works out better. Sometimes truth can be hard, of course. 
But when we live and pursue truth, we don't get caught in a web of lies. We don't become slaves to the very lies we told, trying to remember what have we said so far and pursuing that. When he says don't hoard or steal or become greedy, the positive is that he's saying live with peace and contentment and joy. Live simply. God knows that that is a better way to live than one that's acquiring and gathering and gaining and greeting. When we obey God's commands, we discover freedom and joy in this life. We are to live in obedience. I want to finish with just two applications. They both are related to the idea of pursuing God actively. The first of these is to have active listening. He's told us to listen carefully. I want to encourage you to be an active listener. What would that mean in our life, to actively listen to God? I'm going to use three common examples, places where most of us might have chances to come in contact with God's Word and listen well. What would it be to actively listen to God in a worship or a weekend service setting? Here's what it might mean. It might mean you get a good night's sleep. It might mean you leave a few minutes early so that you're not hurried and rushed and anxious. It might mean you come in a few minutes early and you listen to the prelude music and you allow your heart to focus on God and to think about the week you've just had and to think about where you are with God at this moment. It might be that you listen to the worship in a whole new way and you think about each of the words that's being shared through the worship. These songs are selected meaningfully and purposefully and powerfully. A mighty fortress is our God. These words written hundreds of years ago are so powerful to us. Focus on the words of the worship. Come with an open heart that says, even if you don't like the preacher or you don't like the day or you don't like your outfit, that you're still focused saying, I can learn something because whenever God's Word is open, there's something for me to gain and grow in. Come and listen with a notebook and a Bible and a pen and write down thoughts that intrigue you along the way, things that might be worth reflecting on. Maybe there's a verse you want to star that you hadn't really read that way before and you want to think about it. Maybe later in the week you'll open the passage again or maybe even before coming you've read the passage knowing that we're just moving through Luke. But you read the passage again and you see if you can remember the key words and ideas from the sermon. Maybe you gather with your small group and you discuss it and you take it one step further and say, what should we do about this truth? How do we clean our room? How do we play Jesus says in this case? That's active listening. It's not a grocery list. It's not what should we do later today. It's not coordinating who's going to pick up which child when. It's saying for this time, for this 65 minutes, God, I am yours. Show me whatever you want to show me. What about Scripture reading? Do you read it in bed where you're likely to doze in and out as you're reading it? Or do you read it with focus and quiet and calm? Do you read it in a place where you're distracted and your mind is going all over? Do you read it in a place where you're able to just look at the Word? Do you read it in a giant chunk and say, I did it? 
Or do you read it in a small bit and pause and just stop if there's something that catches your attention? Do you memorize parts of God's Word that touch your heart? Again, do you read it with a pen and a notebook in a way that you're able to do two things? Maybe write down God's Word itself, and as you write it, it becomes yours as you're writing it down, or write down the thoughts that you have as you're reading it. How are you reading God's Word? Are you listening carefully? How are you praying? The third way we encounter God's truth and have a chance to listen, do we listen carefully? Are we praying in a way that we get in and we just go through the things that we need God to do for us that day or that week? Or are we praying in a way that says, God, I'm here and I'm yours, and I want to start this time by worshiping you and adoring you, and I want to give thanks for what you've done. And I want to ask, God, is there something that you have for me today, something that I might learn? Is there some way, God, that, that I could be praying according to your spirit and in your will and in your way? Is there something that you want me to hear so maybe you'll be silent in your prayer, not even say anything? There's a way to actively listen when we pray. And again, you could put a notebook here. Maybe with your notebook, you could write down those distracting thoughts so that you know you can get back to them later and not have to focus on them while you pray. Or you could write down encouraging words or thoughts that God might give. The first takeaway today is active listening. In whatever environments you have that you might hear from God, listen carefully. Be careful then how you listen, Jesus says. The second part is active obedience. When you hear God's direction, when you see the white stripe, do you follow it? Do you go there? Do you do what God wants? Jesus provides a warning here in verse 18. He says, look, for those who hear me and do what I say, I will keep revealing more. But for those who don't even listen or pay attention to it, you know what? Even what they have, I will take away. Jesus reveals what he reveals about himself. You know what you know about God in order that you might respond to God in a positive way. But when we become dull to the things of God, God slows down the pace at which he reveals himself to us. So if you feel stalled at any place in your life, maybe the key isn't a new book, a new behavior, a new habit. It might just be to obey the things you already know God wants you to do. That might just unlock God starting to reveal things to you once again. When you step out in faith and do what God has asked, God may just show you something all over again. James writes this, Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the Word but doesn't do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Imagine if you look at yourself in the mirror and you've got a poppy seed in your tooth. You've got toothpaste spread out across your cheek. You've got hair that's just all tussled. Would you walk away and not take care of the poppy seed, the toothpaste, and the hair? No, you do it. James is saying, of course, when you look in the mirror, you then address what you see. When you look into God's Word, it's like a mirror to our heart and to who we are, and then when we see it, we should respond. In a sense, God's kingdom is like a motion-activated kingdom. 
When you're leaving the grocery store, you can't stand there and look at the door and wait for the door to open, can you? You need to walk to it, and as you move and as you walk to that door, the door opens. God's kingdom is like that. As we move towards God, as we move towards the things He's taught us, as we move in obedience, God's kingdom doors open, and we see more and more of who He is. But we need to move. We need to obey. We need to do the things that He's taught us to do. I don't know if you've seen the movie We Bought a Zoo. It's a story about a guy um, named Benjamin Meese, I believe, who buys a zoo and turns it around in the time that he's a widower. He takes his children there and does this. Sorry if it spoiled anything for you. Uh, He may not turn it around. You could still watch it. (laughs) There's a great line in the movie, and it's this. Sometimes all it takes is 20 seconds of insane courage. Is that true for you? What could you do with 20 seconds of insane courage? 20 seconds is all you need to sign up and be baptized. 20 seconds is all you need to say, God, I get it. You love me and your son died on a cross for me and I want to know you for eternity. 20 seconds is all it takes to give that woman the ring. 20 seconds is all it takes to sign up for the marathon or start that diet. 20 seconds might be all it takes to turn in your resignation letter, to donate generously to an organization that you love and feel strongly about, to sign up for a mission trip. What would you do with 20 seconds of insane courage? What holds you back? Just do it. If God is leading you, then go for it. I talked about Todd Beamer earlier. I was thinking about him because it was Fourth of July weekend. A time of great patriotism. We, we remember, of course, the Olympics and USA, USA. We remember, of course, the Blackhawks and the national anthem being sung and welling up with pride. We remember, of course, the World Cup and faces painted and people who love America and what it stands for. And just this weekend, we've seen parades, some of us in tears, remembering what it's taken for our freedom. People of courage and boldness and bravery, Our sense of patriotism is a strong motivator. But you know what? With Todd Beamer, it wasn't his patriotism that moved him to act. It's the fact that he loved God and he had developed the behavior of responding obediently to God whenever he was called. It's the fact that he was not a citizen of this world. His true citizenship was in heaven. His true citizenship is for eternity. It's the longest form of citizenship any of you can have. So before you call yourself an American, and you should if you are, that's, that's a great thing. Call yourself a citizen of heaven. See yourself as bound for eternity, sealed and secured and locked up in that. Live as that citizen, just like Paul said. That's his primary identity, and it breeds the activity that follows God. So with Todd Beamer, his citizenship was truly in heaven. With Todd Beamer, patriotism is not about our country. True patriotism recognizes that the word patriot is just pater, our father. Patriotism means our father's land. Well, what is our father's land? Our father has 
all the lands. Our Father has all the world. He has sovereignty. He has power over it. Our Father is the Father of all that we see. So a true patriot is one who supports his Father's mission in this world. Be a true citizen. Be a true patriot. Be a true hero by boldly supporting and going and doing whatever God calls you to do. What is it that God is asking you to do today? What is it that with 20 seconds of insane courage you might unlock? What is it as you move in obedience, door might open to? What is it that God has invited you to do in playing Jesus says? I don't know what God's call on your life is. I know how Todd Beamer finished his. And as I think about that and as I think about you and as I think about me, I have two words for all of us. Whatever your mission Let's roll. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have called us, that you have asked us to listen and obey. We pray that we would both hear your voice and know what you're saying to us, that we might follow it and do it, not simply gather it and contemplate it. Father, we pray that we would give you our whole hearts and honor you with joy in everything we do. We pray that we would do the things you've already shown us to do, that we would do the things we did at first, that we would pursue you, obey you, and listen to you. Even now as we come before your table, Lord, for communion, we pray that we would be listening for your voice in this moment.